This is M.I.P. With Masamela Mafumo. Mark Thompson. Get woke. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership. We're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Once again, the most popular segment on Make It Plain features the most popular podcast in the world, the host of it at least, The Brief. the I brief. know you're exaggerating, Mark, but the the tra- our traffic is really, really, really maybe. going up. So I'm um we're not there yet, but maybe we're getting there. You're getting there. It'll 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 happen. It continues to grow. We all are continuing to grow, and we're thankful for that. Thankful to all the listeners who are listening to both uh, Marcos here on Make It Plain for Thursday Coast and on the Brief as well. And of course, he is the founder of DailyCoast.com and of Civics.com with a Q. He has been writing prolifically every week in his in his own space, on his own space at Daily Coast, of course, on Ukraine. And we're happy to get an update from him once again this week. Marcos, how are you, buddy? I'm doing. Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. Uh, how are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, even though it's still cold. I envy you. But, you know, you all get cool out there, too. So maybe I shouldn't envy you because I don't know what the weather is out there. It, it's cold here on the East Coast, man. It still it, feels it's like all cold. relative. So if it's in the 50s, it's cold. And it's in the 50s. So it's so cold. we're both cold. You're cold, too. OK. I'm not cold. I'm from Chicago. But everybody oh, around cold. here. You are. Yeah, yeah. No, yeah. I I, <laughs> I learned that uh, winter was optional. I, I never knew. Turns out winter's <laughs> optional. <laughs> well, uh, what is now less optional uh, for our friends in the Ukraine. Uh, They asked for more weapons and the U.S. is coming through, correct? Yeah, Um, there is there's I've been I've been sort of triggered the last couple of weeks Um, because there's a sort of underlying current that Nobody's helping the Ukraine. They're not getting enough. It's not getting there fast enough. Nobody wants to help. And the reality is actually that Ukraine is where it's at. One, because of its very motivated, capable fighters and its populace, very resilient populace. Yes, number one. And number two, and probably three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. But they still wouldn't be where they are today had they not gotten massive weapons shipments from the West, right? So the argument, and, and a lot of it is fueled by, by Ukrainian President Volodymyr, Volodymyr Zelensky, right, who's like, the West isn't sending arms. The West isn't sending arms. He's a cheerleader. He's doing what he needs to do to like, get people light, light a fire, right? He's doing what he's supposed to do. But if you look at actual what's happening on the ground, the West, and particularly the United States and Britain, mostly, but also Canada, Canada. Uh, um, to a large extent, uh, Poland and others have funneled huge amounts of anti-tank, anti-plane missiles 
body armor helmets. Body armor and helmets are so not sexy. It's not a big freaking plane. It saves lives. It saves lives. And so um, at the beginning of the war, the Allies did not send heavy weaponry. Heavy weaponry being tanks, artillery, aircraft. They did not send those. They sent missiles instead, body armor, helmets, like I said. It was a different war at the beginning, right? They were trying to resist the sort of blitzkrieg coming in. And the best way to do that from a, um, from a speed perspective, from a logistical perspective, was to hand out um, shoulder-fired missiles. Now, you could, what, probably cram a thousand of those missiles in the space of one tank. And those thousand missiles would probably destroy 300 tanks. So just from a logistical standpoint, the ability to move this material in, it made sense to give them materials that they could, that, that were suited for the battlefield of the first phase of the war. So people will say, well, the U.S. was being paternalistic then by deciding. In World War II, at the beginning of World War II, Commanders on the ground were allowed to make to requisition requests, and it became an utter cluster F. What you ended up having is everybody asking for everything, and then logistical depots being overwhelmed, and you had these incredible backlogs of equipment, right? So what the Army did uh, about a year or two into World War II is they actually, gave, they actually created the logistical command. There's an actual three-star general in charge of logistics in the U.S. Army, and that guy had the authority to decide who got what. Because you're a step back, you can see the broader playing field, you're not, you're not trapped in the emotion of the moment. And if you're under fire and there's artillery you know, shells raining on you and missiles, yeah, you're gonna want everything right that second. So I, it sounds incredibly paternalistic, I get it. But that dispassionate step back was really, really important. So Ukraine got the weapons it needed for the first phase of the war. That shifted now. The Ukraine won the Battle of Kiev. Russia pulled out of the entire north of the country, right? So now you have the battle has shifted to the east and the south of Ukraine. If you look at a map, the south and the east of Around Kiev, it's very heavily forested and wooded and lots of rivers, lots of places where you can hide, have ambushes, blow bridges, whatnot. If you go to the south and east of the country, not a lot of rivers, flat, open fields, not a lot of forest. It looks like Kansas. So it's a different war. It's no longer an urban battle in the suburbs of Kiev. Now you're talking about open field warfare, and that requires different tactics. And that's why the Allies have not shifting and sending heavier gear, which is mostly artillery, but also some armor, uh, particularly armor that will allow infantry to move through the battlefield if artillery is falling and be protected. So that's why things have shifted. And so the second pet peeve is last week, the U.S. announced $800 million in new package, already on top of $1.6 million it had already sent <clears throat> this year. And in that package was eight heavy artillery howitzers. And people are like, that's not enough. I'm like, well, it's one week's worth. They're already working on the next plan, which will include more artillery. And I would be willing to stake on my reputation and just saying, because I think it's pretty obvious, that as long as this war lasts 
every week Ukraine's going to be getting new shipments of armor and artillery and ammunition and missiles and other things that it needs for this war, right? So it's not – everybody acts like that's the one package, and the U.S. only gave $800 million. No, it's already at $2.4 billion as we count. Another $800 million is about to be announced over the next couple of days. And the pace of those shipments has increased to the point where I could see the U.S. spending about $800 million a week from here on out. And just in case anybody's wondering, this is not $800 million in new taxpayer funding. This is $800 million in equipment that the U.S. bought a long time ago in all those bloated military budgets of, of, of before and are sitting and are now obsolete and are sitting in warehouses um, costing us money because you still have to maintain these, these, these you know, warehoused equipment. And now we're shipping them to actually do something useful and, and starting to maybe justify some of those bloated military budgets. So these are billions of dollars of, of uh, equipment that – we're not using anymore and finally can be put to good use. Um, what about, what is this I'm hearing about Germany and, and are they not coming to the Ukraine support as they should be? So there's, 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 I mean, they're not doing enough. I mean, they're, they're the, they're the economic powerhouse. They're the fourth largest economy in the world. They could certainly be doing more than countries like Estonia, which are <laughs> they're tiny, right? These are little dots on the map, and they've delivered more. What 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 Germany has done is it 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 has basically donated two billion dollars to um, Ukraine that they can go shopping for equipment. They don't want to hand over any direct military equipment, but they're saying here's some here's a couple of billion dollars so you can go get stuff on your own. Now. Some people have said, well, where's his money? And it, it apparently hasn't shown up yet. It hasn't been approved or German bureaucracy hasn't gone on. I could see Germany not handing over direct military equipment. The, the German military has actually been gutted and there's not much for them to give. But Germany is the third largest arms exporter in the, in the world. There are plenty of, uh, of um, you know, their, their military industrial complex can crank out gear for Ukraine. So it could be done. It just hasn't been done. So now that said, there's no doubt that when um, when the war is over, that Germany will take the lead in in rebuilding Ukraine. That's I think you, Germany feels comfortable with that. Historically, it feels comfortable with that. It feels less comfortable with actually sending weapons. And that's a legacy of World War II and it's and the, you know, how it was responsible for the destruction of all of Europe. And just like Japan isn't sending any any military equipment, it's sending humanitarian aid to Ukraine. It's not sending any military equipment to Ukraine. There is that that lasting legacy of the last world war. And there's a really solid argument to be made that it's time for Germany to take its lead as a as one of the world's most respected and stable liberal democracies. And this is part of that is helping with the collective defense of, of not just, not even the world here, your backyard, but it's a debate that is, it's, it's, it's a difficult one for Germany given their history. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit um, sympathetic, but not that much anymore. <laughs> I, mean, I think at this point that debate needs to get thrown out 
and it's time for Germany to, to be more aggressive in, in, in helping. Now, France has been pretty weak so far, too. But, you know, I just saw the first report yesterday morning that, that they were going to start sending some heavier gear. But really, right now, the, the countries that have stepped up are, are, are some of the Eastern European countries that know that have been under Russia's thumb. So the Baltic, Lithuania, Latvia, Estonia, Poland has been very aggressive and is, is moving um, some of their old Soviet era tanks, which Ukraine knows how to operate and maintain. And uh, and in the U.S., Canada, um, and Britain have have sort of really, um, from a, just a numerical standpoint, have probably offered the most assistance, which ironically are not mainland Europe. The mainland Europeans are actually lagging in their own defense. Let's turn back to to Russia itself, and you had educated us before on the Russians being sent to war. Um, describe that again for us, please. The, the people who are going um, are not the, how should I put it? Um, Best and brightest? <laughs> well, you, you said it. I, your, your words, I'll let your words speak for that. I mean, there, there's... Not who's being sent, right? It, it's, it, and, and aren't people being sent, you know, part of a class that is... Um, looked upon in a less favorable light? Yeah, I mean, one of the most amazing statistics of the war, um, the BBC looked through all the death notices in newspapers around around Russia, right? And there's there's several thousand. And they could not find a single one from Moscow, from Moscow's, the Moscow region, the oblast. Not a single Muscovite has been confirmed killed in Ukraine. Most of them are from the hinterlands, from poor areas where there is uh, not not only are there no economic opportunities. I mean, this is this is um, developing world standards. You know, no paved roads, sort of thing. Uh, not only that, but um, also uh, one of the things that 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 sort of defines Russia is it's a very bureaucratic state. So if you're conscripted. If you follow certain steps, you can get out of actually having to serve your one-year military conscription. It requires filing certain paperwork and, and appealing to the right authorities. And by the time all it's said and done, the time has passed and you're, you're home free. Rich Muscovites, they know how to play that system. And so they do. And none of them actually serve. People on the hinterlands don't even know that system exists. So just like it's the story of the world, right, Mark? <laughs> it's not, it's never, it's never the rich and powerful that are fighting these wars. And it's just in the case. And if you look at, at, at pictures of the, of the dead, of Russian dead from like these death notices, they're Asian. They're, they're, they're from Siberia. They're from Kamchatka. They're Chechens. They're, they're Central Asian uh, uh, Russian republics. <clears throat> and um, it's it's kind of I mean the, the the officers they'll be white you know they're 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 definitely you know um, from the more ethnic Russian parts of Russia, but uh, most of the dying and, and the conscripts sure they're not they're not ethnic Russians doing most of that dying, and and but it also means that that they don't get trained 
morale is low. They don't understand why they're there. You know, if you're sitting there going like, rah, rah, we're doing it for Russia, and you don't feel like you're part of Russia, you're one of these sort of remote republics that are sort of forgotten and ignored, that doesn't maybe resonate as clearly with you. There's a lot of forced conscription going on in the uh, Russian areas, uh, Russian-held areas in, in Ukraine. And, and those are, I mean, it is, every day there's, there's, there's video of some massacre of them because they're so, they don't know what they're doing. So they'd be huddled behind a wall and a Ukrainian just drops a grenade and boom, six of them are dead because they didn't know, they don't know anything. Like they literally get picked up off the street, get thrown into combat. Some of them don't even have rifles. I mean, it, it is barbaric how Russia treats human life. And you would expect, you know, you know you, they do that to the enemy. But when you can't even pick up your own dead after a firefight, uh, you can't bury them. When you let the family know with a phone call instead of actually showing up in person to let them know. I mean, these are not marks of a civilized compassionate society it's one that's harsh and dark and bleak and i try not to be um i try not to be bigoted against people but it's it's it, you know russia tests me it really really tests me meanwhile though aren't aren't we seeing the impact of the war <clears throat> on the russian economy and people's ability to provide for themselves? There's definitely, we're seeing the, the first, it's going to take a while, I guess, for, for a lot of the, the impact of the sanctions to really be felt by regular, um, regular Russians. The problem is that their, their propaganda machine is so powerful. Uh, yesterday, I saw an intercepted phone call from, um, between a Russian soldier in Ukraine and his mother. And his mother saying, no civilians are dying. And the soldier's like, lots of civilians are dying. I, I see it every day. And, and the mom's like, no, that what they're telling us is in TV is that they're all fascist Nazis. And the Russians literally like, I'm here, mom. <laughs> I'm seeing what's going on. There's no fascists. And she still keeps arguing because that propaganda is so powerful overwhelming there's no dissenting voices this is the republican dream right this is what trump this is why trump gets so excited at putin because trump wishes he could have this kind of un, un, unbridled power and so if you convince people i mean think about it mark i mean if we were literally fighting nazis which our older generations did but let's say the next nazi you know the next um, Hitler arises, we'd be willing to take an economic hit for the war effort. We just would, right? I mean, it's human nature. We saw it, World War II. We don't even have to guess at it, right? America can put up with economic difficulties in part of a war effort. Putin has convinced his people that this is an existential threat for the survival of Russia, and people are buying it. So, the economic pain, I don't, I don't see it, at least in the mid, short to midterm, I don't see it having as much of an impact on, on the outcome of the war just because people are so, I mean, their brains are mush right now. More MIP right after this. 
At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Lastly, um, just to step away from the Ukraine for, as, for a moment, the, on the brief this week, uh, you did talk about democratic messaging, which is always a challenge. Um, did you get any uh, indication? And I know you, uh, uh, spoke, uh, with way to wins, Jennifer Fernandez Ancona. And again, we invite you all to listen to the brief downloaded wherever you get your podcast, just like this one, you get the indication that Democrats are going to get their act together and salvage whatever chances are left in these midterms. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm sorry, I, we, I'm pessimistic. I'm sorry. We 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 have never we have never seen Republicans get their I mean sorry Democrats get their act together on messaging. So uh, I would hold my breath now. Uh, Jennifer though, she she is a messaging guru and and she's done a lot of polling and focus group testing, and she has found that the best message to both motivate liberal voters and to also deactivate conservative ones, basically is uh, you go positive and assert your values. Then you go negative by pointing out the way that Republicans are in violence, you know, January 6th, um, going after trans kids, whatever. And then you end with, again, positive vision, right? This positive, negative, positive sort of sandwich. And it was just beautifully illustrated because uh, I don't know, Mark, if you saw the state senator in, in Michigan, who was being accused of being a groomer, right? This is a new Republican attack that, that, that being tolerant towards great uh, gay, lesbian, bisexual, trans kids is grooming them. And, uh, and she basically opened up with, I'm a Christian and, you know, my daughter and I, um, you know, we do charity and we work together to help others. And, I'm going to love her no matter what her, um, no matter who she is. And Republicans are trafficking in hate. And of course, I'm not giving it a tenth of a percent of the justice, right? Because this is some powerful stuff and it's gone viral for good reason. And then she ends again with going back to, but Democrats are different, right? We are about love and about coming together and about fixing roads because Republicans are so busy hating on you that they don't even fix your roads. And, and, I got to say, this whole thing is beautiful. What really stood out to me, though, was like this fixing roads thing, because that's bipartisan. Nobody thinks the roads are good enough, right? So why play to the, the, the Republican BS attacks, or even worse sometimes, ignore them? Hakeem Jeffries said we should ignore these attacks that Republicans are making. No, don't, don't ignore them. There, there's a really powerful counterattack and that's to talk about what values we actually stand for because they're impugning our values as liberals we're groomers we're we're cancel culture right that we we can't tolerate dissent like they're impugning our values we talk about what our values are show how they are in the wrong and how they're focused on these culture war issues 
are neglecting things that people actually care about, like student debt and, and broken roads and whatnot. And then go back to why we need to reject that and embrace the 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 values that make us that makes Democrats Democrats. And and she's got polling and she talked about it. And it, it, it actually makes a lot of freaking sense. And and it makes sense from a guttural standpoint, like right here in my in my chest. I'm like, yeah, yeah, that, that makes sense. Also makes sense in her polling and her focus group tests. Like they've tested this stuff extensively. And so they're doing what they can to to um to uh, work with Democrats to, see, to try to get them to adopt this. Um, and again, not adopt it two weeks before the election and, and okay, then we move on. But a lot of what they're trying to do is they're trying to, they're trying to create this broader narrative that we can carry to 2024. Because, you know, yeah, 2022, we, we need to win. But um, this is a long-term battle. And if we can start creating the kind of rhetorical narrative framework that defines us despite all our differences because we're we're a, we're a coalition republicans are not right they're old white men that's easy old christian white men not even christian but christianist old christianist white men we're a lot more broad a lot more diverse and so creating that culture where we're that shared narrative that we're not against hate we're about coming together and about about um, and then the other piece of that is there's a hero and there's a villain. And Joe Biden does not like villains. He does not like to point out. So that's a challenge. Can we do it by November? <laughs> Probably not, but <laughs> let's hope that 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 enough of enough of our Democrats really start embracing this kind of narrative shift that allows us to tell this positive and negative story. It seems, too, that the party also likes to rely upon Republicans messaging, shooting themselves in the foot. Like, let's lay back and let them just clown out and that'll help us. Yeah, I mean, it was it was a thinking that, oh, you know, Donald Trump's going to be the easier candidate because he's so whacked and so insulting and rude and and boorish. And I bought into that, too. I mean, we probably ate that there. I, I mean, I don't remember, but I'm sure we laughed at Donald Trump and how what a crazy candidate he would be for Republicans. And then he won. So uh, I, I thought the QAnon stuff would, would burn itself out. It was so ridiculous and bizarre and of course QAnon is now taking over the republican party so it's dangerous at this point i think now i'm, I'm, I'm over thinking that pe people will look at some of this craziness and go like oh yeah that's they've lost the plot let's let's no they, they they don't because nobody's pushing back and saying this is losing the plot but also and, and this is where I, I love that 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 viral speech by that Michigan state senator is is tying it into things that people actually care about. Because in the end, do they really care about trans women in sports? Like, does that really affect ninety nine point nine 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 percent of? No, of course it doesn't. But by bringing in um, broken roads, oh yeah, why aren't they focused on that instead? That's what you want them to do. That's what you want Democrats to do is they want you want people to think, why are Republicans talking about a Honduran caravan when my streets are broken?
Yeah, no, that's a good point. So I, I guess the question is, is Biden's doing a good job with Ukraine? Yeah. <laughs> is he doing as as well and is his party, is our party doing as well with messaging as he's doing with Ukraine? Um, I mean, we see we see hints of it. OK, so I don't I don't want to be totally negative. Uh, we see hints of him being a little more aggressive or calling out Republicans for obstructing this or that. What we don't see is that relentless unmessage reiteration of that theme. Right. It, it, we should have by the end of the by the end of the election season, we should be in a oh, there they go again. You know, people care about this, but now they want to talk about that nonsense. Like we need to to build that narrative framework so everything plugs in to the, you know, the the positive story, the villain, and then the hero. And the hero isn't Joe Biden. The hero isn't Democrats. The hero is our multi-racial, multi-ethnic coalition of people that have come together to make this a better country. That's the hero of the story. Um, Marcos, one more thing before we go, since you mentioned it a couple times, the it was the state senator. Her name is Mallory McMurrow, and it's the most brilliant four minutes of Democratic messaging I've seen that I, I can't even remember last time I was that blown away by somebody's ability to really synthesize. And it really it really fit. Um, this messaging, you know, Jennifer Ancona, uh, Jennifer Fernandez Ancona, her messaging framework, not because the state senator knew what Jennifer was doing, right? It's just, I think the state senator instinctively gets what, what you know, all this research is finally telling us. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I like to do? Because I want our audience to, to get the full bill of what we're talking about. I want to share that. The state senator, yes, Mallory McMurrow, it was... Uh, Another state senator actually posted it, but I, I want to give our audience the benefit of, of hearing this. And, and this this is what we mean by messaging, folks. Let's uh, let's take. A, a, wait, wait, Mark, before you go, the, the context again is that she was defending. Right. Um, gay and, and trans kids and was accused by a Republican of being a, a groomer. Yeah. And, and again. And also before we air it, where, where are we hearing this more and more and where have we heard this before? There's still this fixation on that from QAnon to the KBJ hearings. Yeah. See, that's that's what they're what they're pushing. And, and I'll be honest with you, man, it's, it's hard. To come, you know, come back from that, you're trying to prove something that doesn't exist. It's, that's a very difficult and unfair defense. Uh, now, we don't have to make up anything that they do because everything they do is real, but it but it's disgusting. So this is um, uh, State Senator Mallory McMorrow of Michigan. Thank you, Mr. President. I didn't expect to wake up yesterday to the news that the senator from the 22nd District had overnight accused me by name of grooming and sexualizing children in an email fundraising for herself. So I sat on it for a while wondering why me? And then I realized 
because I am the biggest threat to your hollow, hateful scheme. Because you can't claim that you are targeting marginalized kids in the name of, quote, parental rights if another parent is standing up to say no. So then what? Then you dehumanize and marginalize me. You say that I'm one of them. You say she's a groomer. She supports pedophilia. She wants children to believe that they were responsible for slavery and to feel bad about themselves because they're white. Well, here's a little bit of background about who I really am. Growing up, my family was very active in our church. I sang in the choir. My mom taught CCD. One day, our priest called a meeting with my mom and told her that she was not living up to the church's expectations and that she was disappointing. My mom asked why. Among other reasons, she was told it was because she was divorced and because the priest didn't see her at mass every Sunday. So where was my mom on Sundays? She was at the soup kitchen with me. My mom taught me at a very young age that Christianity and faith was about being part of a community, about recognizing our privilege and blessings and doing what we can to be of service to others, especially people who are marginalized, targeted, and who had less often unfairly. I learned that service was far more important than performative nonsense like being seen in the same pew every Sunday or writing Christian in your Twitter bio and using that as a shield to target and marginalize already marginalized people. I also stand on the shoulders of people like Father Ted Hesburgh, the longtime president of the University of Notre Dame, who was active in the civil rights movement, who recognized his power and privilege as a white man, a faith leader, and the head of an influential and well-respected institution and who saw black people in this country being targeted and discriminated against and beaten and reached out to lock arms with Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. when he was alive, when it was unpopular and risky and marching alongside them to say, we've got you to offer protection and service and allyship to try to right the wrongs and fix injustice in the world. So who am I? I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom who knows that the very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolute nonsense. No child alive today is responsible for slavery. No one in this room is responsible for slavery. But each and every single one of us bears responsibility for writing the next chapter of history. Each and every single one of us decides what happens next and how we respond to history and the world around us. We are not responsible for the past. We also cannot change the past. We can't pretend that it didn't happen or deny people their very right to exist. I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom. I want my daughter to know that she is loved, supported, and seen for whoever she becomes. I want her to be curious, empathetic, and kind. People who are different are not the reason that our roads are in bad shape after decades of disinvestment or that healthcare costs are too high or that teachers are leaving the profession. I want every child in this state to feel seen, heard, and supported, not marginalized and targeted because they are not straight, white, and Christian. We cannot let hateful people tell you otherwise to scapegoat and deflect from the fact that they are not doing anything to fix the real issues that impact people's lives. And I know that hate will only win if people like me stand by and let it happen. 
So I want to be very clear right now. Call me, whatever you want. I hope you brought in a few dollars. I hope it made you sleep good last night. I know who I am. I know what faith and service means and what it calls for in this moment. We will not let hate win. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. That was Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow. And if that's not a message, taking a positive, that's the sandwich, Marcos, taking the positive, the negative, and making the positive. Uh, if that's not a message, I don't know what is. Subscribe to dailycoach.com. Follow The Brief wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks, Marcos. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. As always, perform an act of kindness on behalf of an elder or young person. Write a letter to a sister or brother who just so happens to find her or himself incarcerated. Offer libations to the ancestors upon whose sturdy shoulders we all now stand. And above all, give thanks to the God of your understanding by whatever name you call her and him. All God asks of us is that we give each other love. Thanks for giving MIP love. And please remember to subscribe and give us a five-star rating. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been made plain.